It's a very kind introduction. Um, and I think Zach would uh, would agree, and I think Ryan would as well. There's there's nothing like being up in front of people and proclaiming God's word to God's people on God's day to make you feel a little bit like Isaiah, where you recognize you are in fact a man of unclean lips who dwells among people of unclean lips. And you, you come to terms, I think, with your uh, your own foibles and your own flaws, but you know that what you're doing is you're you're an ambassador for the word of God. And so it's not my words this morning; it's it's the word of the Lord, and I pray that the delivery uh, wouldn't get in, in the way of what the message actually is. But as a as kind of a fun introduction, this is uh, a little bit of a homecoming for, for me and Amanda. When we moved to Vincennes in 1994, this is the church that we attended. And so we're all these years later here, and I get to teach from this particular pulpit, but we started... This is the first place I've ever taught the gospel. You, know, you try to live the gospel, but we were the, the youth leaders here. And so for a couple of years, I got to teach the gospel to uh, to our kids there. And I, don't, I didn't, because uh, up front, I didn't see Walker and Denise Hatton are here. Walker's the pastor of Bridgecrest, but his daughter, Amy, was one of our youth kids. So it's a little bit of a homecoming for us, and, and it's kind of a, a fun little antidote. The first Sunday we were here, talk about hospitality and, and being a, a gift of the Lord, there was a couple, Connie and Carl Bridenwell, and Connie and Carl asked us over to their house for dinner. 26 years later, we're still friends with them. We still share family with them. We share the gospel and life together with them. Uh, and their home is the home that the Lowry's now live in. So, <laughs> so it's like, it's, uh, you know, I feel like you're on a Disney ride. It's a small world. We'll all join hands and sing. But I, I love that aspect of being in a small community where those things kind of turn around and there's some redemption in it. And, and again, it does, it, it feels very much like being home this morning. Uh, so today, as we start, just as a, a bit of a confession, Zach and I were talking and he was asking me a little bit, uh, as, as the elders should, uh, on what I would be preaching. Of course, you want your elders to be asking people in the pulpit what they're going to be preaching on, and in that way, you don't have doctrinal error coming, coming from the pulpit. But I told him, I said, I think the safest thing is always to preach what the Lord is showing you. Instead of trying to be clever or putting something together, it's what, what is the Lord working on me about today? And it's very, very easy then because you kind of become the, the illustration of the example. You don't have to look very far because it you, and as a bit of a confession this morning, uh, where we start is, is what the Lord's been working with, with me on, and, and that is, that's this, trying to make today matter in the scope of eternity, trying not to let the good things that the Lord gives us get in the way of the best thing, that, that's Him, trying to find some way where we're at the end of our day. And we've not gotten caught up just simply in getting to the end of the day. We're checking off the checklist. We're doing the tasks. And these are good things, right? You have a good spouse. You have good children. You have a good job. You have a good way to provide for your family. You have good friends. You have a good opportunity for service. You have a good church. You have good gifts that the Lord has given to you and to me. But it's so easy just to get caught up in the goodness of those things that they're not anchored to 
around me, but so I find that I go through my days and I go through the motions of my days, and when I add them up, it doesn't seem to add up to a whole lot than more, any more than what those days were by themselves. I want them to add up to something more significant. So I've been struggling with this for, well, at least for the last couple of months, but if I'm being honest, probably for, for decades. It's, it's one of those things that kind of haunts you is that at the end of the day, I want it to be more than, than what the day was. So that's where I want to start today. I've been praying and praying that the Lord would show me, that the Father would show me a more excellent way. The scripture tells us in Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. So this morning I'd like to show you what the Lord is showing me. Before I do that, let's go ahead and bow our heads. We'll pray and then we'll jump on in. Father, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for your word. I pray it would be delivered to your people, Lord, that it would find good soil and grow deep roots, and that you would be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to start in 2 Peter, uh, 2 Peter 3. And it starts like this. His divine power, God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what I want to talk about today is a more excellent way, right? If, if we want to anchor our today to an eternal tomorrow, there's a more excellent way for us to live than what the world would show us or even what, uh, what we would show ourselves. And in, in Peter, we see here faith is the beginning, faith is the foundation, but faith is not the whole building itself. We're to start with faith, a saving faith of the knowledge of what Jesus Christ has has done for us, and that we are called from the world and to him, and we don't have anything at all without faith, but we add to it. And Peter says we supplement our faith, and then he gives us a list of things that we supplement to our, our faith. And James, in James 1, 22 through 25, James says, but be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And so we see James is kind of building on that same idea that, that Peter's introducing. We add doing to hearing. We're not hearers only, we're, we're doers as well. 
And Peter says, we, we don't only have faith, but in addition to faith, we have this, this list of things we're going to add to it and we're going to supplement because, because there's a more excellent way. And mental assent to an idea, mental assent to a truth is not the same as living in obedience to it, right? I mean, we can, we can understand something in our head, but getting it to translate to our feet and our hands and to action is, is a whole separate matter. So look at what Peter is doing with this instruction. He's telling us in verse 8 that if these qualities are ours and are increasing in our lives, they keep us from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's really what we want, isn't it? That's, that's really, that's, that's the desire of our hearts every day. I mean, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what? What I want to do today is I want to be unfruitful and ineffective. You, you don't want that at your job. You don't want that with your spouse. You don't want, I want to be an ineffective and unfruitful parent. Said no one ever. I mean, that, that's, that's no objective. We want to be fruitful. We want to be effective. And so we add to the foundation of our faith. Like the house that's built on the rock, we start with faith and we add virtue and knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, and godliness, brotherly affection, and love. And Peter says these qualities should exist they should be personally present in our lives, and they should be increasing. They should, they should be there, and they should give life, and they should keep giving life, because they should be increasing and multiplying in our lives. And we find here that there's a guaranteed result. And that guaranteed result is that we're made more effective and fruitful in our knowledge of the person and character and works of Jesus Christ. If we start with faith, and we act on Peter's instructions. Peter goes on to tell us in, in verse 9 and following, we have the, uh, the if-then statement. If these things, then this result. I, I remember as a, as a kid in, I think, junior high, in the Apple IIe monochrome screen had just come out, and we were, we were learning computer programming, which uh, my son Keaton would, would laugh at at this point. But we would type in these if-then statements and you'd get the screen, the green screen, to do different things. If X equals this, then Y this, and you end up with a guaranteed result because that's the way that the algorithm works. And that's what Peter's telling us here. If faith plus these things, your guaranteed result is effectiveness and fruitfulness. But then he goes on to say, well, there's another if-then statement, and here's the way that one works. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So there's some overlap with James there, too, about this blindness. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And each of these additions, each of these, these add-ons, uh, these supplements that, that Peter's addressing, each one of them could be a sermon in and of themselves, but uh, there's another church service, and uh, we've got a limited amount of time, so there's not time this morning to develop each one. But I'd encourage you to spend some time privately in your own study, in your own meditation, to look at what 
each one of those add-ons would practically mean for you in, in, in your life. Right now, this morning, I want you to see that there's some overlap here between this list that Peter's giving us and the list of the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, there's quite a bit of overlap. And so what we have is we have faith and we're adding to that the fruit of the Spirit. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. And I think, uh, you talk about giving personal illustrations. When I was in high school, uh, like many high school students, foreign language was a required class for, I think we had two years of foreign language. Uh, you know, this was, I'm a child of the 80s. I was 11 when the 80s rolled in. I was 21 when they, they rolled out. I am the Stranger Things child. I, you know, I went to junior high and high school and most of college in, in the 80s. So we had fewer opportunities than, than there are now. We didn't, I didn't have the opportunity to take French or German or any of that. We took Spanish, right? So back in the 80s, we took Spanish. And I had this big idea the first year that I didn't need to learn to conjugate verbs. That's kind of in hindsight a bad idea. Um, I memorized all the nouns. I memorized the vocabulary. You know, you... You'd uh, memorize things like, hola, me llamo Juan, que pasa, and, you know, the easy stuff like that. But when it came to the, uh, the verb conjugations we had, nosotros, vosotros, and usted, ustedes, and all these things, it's like six different ways to conjugate verbs. And, you know, I already know how to speak English, so I'm, I'm good. Uh, and, and I decided, not going to learn, I'm just going to phone it in. And, and, you know, what happens is two or three months into the semester, you find out that conjugating verbs is somewhat essential to learning the new language. Uh, I had this mental assent to the idea that I was going to learn Spanish, uh, but I wasn't doing a whole lot with it. So I found in that moment that there was a lot of catching up that I had to do because the, the idea that I was going to learn this in my head wasn't actually matching the work that I was putting on into it. And that's what I'm talking about with, with Scripture here as well. We, we somehow, when we get to this idea of hearers only or, or doing, we somehow feel that, that consent to the teachings of Scripture is equivalent to obedience. You know, we hear a sermon, we listen to a podcast, we have coffee with, uh, with one of the elders, we're, we're in a women's Bible study, or we, we hear a good sermon on a, on a men's camping trip, and, and we say, yeah, that's... That's true. I agree with that. Good word, Zach. Good word, Ryan. Bra-bra, sis, boom, ba. And then we walk away with no application, and we drop it. And James says, if we do that, we're deceiving ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. It's more than just saying, yes, I subscribe to that as being some type of objective truth. It's got to live in your skin and bones, right? we got to act on these things. It's not hearing only, it's doing. And, and by the way, that doesn't say don't hear. It doesn't say do instead of hear. It says don't be a hearer only. Put it together, both and. And we see Peter, he says it's faith and these things. And James says it's uh, hearing and doing. And so neither one of these these gentlemen are saying it's either or. They're both saying it's both and. We put them together. 
The pursuit of holiness is a joint venture between God and the Christian. No one's going to attain any degree of holiness without God working in his or her life, but just as surely no one's going to attain it without any effort on his or her part. It's, it's a joint venture. In his book, The Pursuit of Holiness, Jerry Bridges says it this way. He says, though we often think of holiness in a more narrow sense of separation from impurity and moral evil, in its broader sense, holiness is obedience to the will of God in whatever God directs. And in these verses in Peter, we find the instruction. We find the directions of God. And in this verse, these verses in James, we find our call to action. So we've looked at Peter, he provides instruction. We've looked at James, James provides a call to action. So what's the difference then between being a hearer only and a doer? What, what is a hearer only? So let's call the, the, the person who hears only, let's call that person a consumer. So we look, we look to the dictionary for a definition of consumer person who acquires goods and services for his or her own personal needs. A person or thing that consumes. Uh, the third definition is, in, in ecology, it's an organism or an animal within a community that feeds upon the plants or animals of the community. So we're almost, we're not calling it a parasite, but we're almost getting parasitic uh, consumers, someone, something that consumes. It's personal needs versus the needs of others. And a consumer, the personal needs will always win. It consumes versus adding value, the consumer is taking value. And it feeds off of others instead of feeding others. This, this is what hearing only with no doing is. It's consumption. And when we come to fellowship on Sunday morning, and we hear a good word, and we, we want to have our batteries recharged, but we don't live out what we've heard, and we don't put into daily practice what we know, we're consumers. We're hearers only, not doers. And James says we're deceiving, we're lying to ourselves. And about what? What, what are we lying to ourselves about? Well, I would submit it. James is saying we're lying about whether we're really following Jesus, about whether we truly are his disciples, about whether we want to live a more excellent way. Do we want to be conformed to the world, or do we want to be transformed to the image of Jesus Christ? And so if hearers only are consumers, then what, what are doers? What Doers, that kind of tells you right there, I love it, it's an action verb. There's something there. Hearing only, you get that only and it tends to limit the hearing. You kind of know what you're getting into. The doers, well, that's an action verb. So, uh, you know, so there's an action film that goes with that. Doers act and they're producers. And if we look at the definition of a producer or production, it's a person, a company, or a country that makes, grows, or supplies goods or commodities for sale. A person or thing that makes or causes something. And some of the synonyms are manufacturer, maker, generator, director. 
So I'd rather be a generator, right? I'd rather be a maker or a manufacturer than a parasite. That seems like a, a much, much better objective. And so it's providing for the needs of others instead of providing for my own need. It's adding value instead of taking value. It's feeding others first before I feed myself because if I am a doer of the word and not a hearer only, I'm adding some value to it. I'm bringing something to it because I'm doing and producing. And when a producer, a doer of the word, comes to fellowship on Sunday morning, the batteries have already been charged. And the good word from what the Lord is showing that person individually during the week from his or her own time of devotion has already found roots. And the producer, the doer of the word, comes and is able to give to others, to feed others, to generate for others, and to add value to the community of faith. So instead of taking from, we can add to. And this is the big difference between consumption and production, between hearing only and doing. A doer of the word is a disciple. And the word of God is applied to his or her life. And the doer of the word purposes to strive for holiness because the word calls the doer, the disciple, to holiness. And I know, uh, and I know it's been preached from the pulpit here, and it's absolutely 100% correct. There is room for different application in the details. There's room for mature men and women of faith, godly men and women, to come to different conclusions about how that obedience looks in exactly his or her life. Absolutely, 100%. But we're all called to the same general standard of holiness. Now, John Davidson and I, because we're in different places in our lives, our kids are of a different age, our professions are different, our families are different. His obedience is going to look a little bit different than what my obedience looks like, but we're still both called to that same standard of holiness. It's the scriptural hallmark of a disciple. What is holiness? What does scripture say about holiness? And, and how do you know that what I'm telling you is true? Well, let's go through half a dozen verses here, and, and no need to, uh, to flip to them. I'll just kind of rock it through them and, and tell you where you can find them later. Leviticus 11.44 says, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Hebrews 12.14 says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 says, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Reoccurring theme of Scripture. We serve a holy Father, and he says, You are my children, you've been adopted on in, you call me Abba Father, be holy because I'm holy. I'm in the job of restoration and redemption. Come work in the family business of restoration and redemption, but be holy because I'm holy. To be holy is to be morally blameless. It's to be separated from sin and consecrated to God. 
And the word itself signifies a separation to God and the conduct befitting those who are so separated. To live a holy life, then, is to live a life in conformity to the precepts of the Bible and in contrast to the sinful ways of the world. We're not conformed to the world, but we're transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Because God has not called us to be like those around us. He's called us to be like himself. And holiness, at the end of the day, is conformity to the character of God. God is reproducing his character in us through a call to holiness. And if there's not, going back to that idea of, of a more excellent way, going back to that idea of faith plus these things, and hearing plus doing, if we find that there's not at least a yearning in our hearts to live a holy life, to, to lead a life that's separated from the world, in the world but not of it, right? We've got to go to work, we've, we've got to drive the car, we've got to mow the lawn. I mean, these things are fine things, they're, they're good things. The Lord's called us to be good stewards over what he gives to us. But it's, it's the attitude, right? It's the inner man and what we bring to it. Is, is that what we worship? Is that what gives us meaning and purpose? Or are we being conformed into to something bigger? And so if there's not at least a yearning in our hearts to live a holy life, pleasing to God, we need to seriously question whether our faith in Christ is genuine. I mean, if we say these things, but there's no evidence that we want to act on them, is what I'm saying true? I mean, if I tell you, I used to give an illustration years ago when my kids were younger. If I tell them I'm an astronaut, and that's, you know, what do you do for, for a living, Dad? Well, I'm an astronaut. That's what Daddy does for a job. I'm, I'm an astronaut. But I'm never gone. And there are no missions. And there's not a spacesuit hanging in the closet. And I'm always there. And I don't know anything about planetary orbit or uh, thrust or the rest of it. I have no knowledge about being an astronaut. At some point, my children should call me on the carpet and ask me, are you really an astronaut? And it's the same thing with, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer. Well, okay, where, where's the evidence? Do you yearn, do I yearn to have a holy life? Do, do we yearn to put into action those things that we hear? And if, if that's not happening, uh, you know, I think we need to, to check yourself. <laughs> we, need to, we need to look at what our attitudes really, really are. And again, no one is going to attain any degree of holiness without God working in his his or her life, but just assuredly, no one's going to attain it without any effort on his or her part. It is, in fact, again, a joint venture between the Christian and the Father. It's not enough to ask for help to live a, a life of holiness. We must purpose to live a holy life. And so this joint venture between the Christian and the Father looks a lot like Daniel. And so I think the third point in the the outline is we find our example in Daniel. We find our instruction in Peter. We find our call to action in James. And we find our example in Daniel. We've we've been in Daniel. Zach's been in Daniel. Ryan's been in Daniel. Uh, But let's let's look back again at chapter 1 and and look at, at part of the story of this remarkable 
In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites and the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick at understanding, qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians, and the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, and I'm just noticing the time, so I'm going to skip through kind of some of this with the names. Uh, verse 8, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in his way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over them, please test your servants for ten days. He, he, he uh, puts out the terms of, of the testing. Verse 15, at the end of the ten days, they look healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So they get the result that they're looking for. Verse 17, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kind. And at the end, in 18 through 20, they're brought before the king, and they're the, the, the finest of, of the fine. And what I want you to see here is in that, that idea of the joint venture in, in holiness, of, of doing, of the more excellent way, God makes provisions for our holiness, but he gives us the responsibility of using those resources. If you look at verse 9, we see, we see provision in verse 9, favor and compassion. In 17, knowledge and understanding. and 20, wisdom and understanding. But we see the corresponding responsibility in verses 8, a resolution not to be defiled. And verse 12, an appeal to that authority. So we, when, when people, when preachers, when teachers, when we talk about Daniel, all, one of the first things everybody says about Daniel is what he purposed in his heart, right? This is what we know about Daniel. We know these stories, but Daniel's always uh, equated with purposing in his heart, that resolution. That word is pronounced lame, and it means the heart. But it's also used very widely to mean feelings, the will, and the intellect because it's the center of everything and it's the center of anything. And so when we tie that idea of, of lame, of resolution, of purpose into this idea of faith and these things that, that Peter's talking about and hearing and doing, it is a resolution for holiness that incorporates the entirety of our being. The will, the feelings, the intellect, the center uh, of, it, of everything. And so, as we land in the plane here this morning, and we get to the fourth point in the, in the outline, 
What is the result? Well, we found our instruction in Peter, we found our call to action in James, we found our example in Daniel, and we find our result in Mark. Because holy disciples build a culture in which other holy disciples are made. And so we get back to this idea of a more excellent way of anchoring today to eternity. How do we do that? We do that by, by making it more than about ourselves, right? Our actions are, as a disciple, are to produce other disciples. And our actions as a disciple are to be holy and to glorify God. And so if we take these good gifts that he's given us, but we use them well, we bring glory to our Father, and we create a culture where disciples are making other disciples. And we've gotten out of ourselves, and we've gotten out of the wash, rinse, repeat cycle that we find ourselves in, going to work, coming home, cooking dinner, mowing the lawn, again, taking care and stewarding these good things, but doing it in such a way that God is glorified and disciples are made. Mark 10, 42-45 says, Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for them. Jesus' style is not about position, but about how we relate to one another. So our priority as disciples should be to live a transformed life in front of our community. We do this by purposing in our heart, our feelings, and our will, and intellect, laying to be doers of the word and not hearers only, and to add to our faith the instructions of Peter. We are called to become holy disciples, not religious consumers. And as we wrap up, hearing only leads to death. Doing brings life, life more abundant and life to the community. It's, it's not settling the land that the Lord's given us. It's settling and then pioneering. It's expanding the gospel. It's expanding the kingdom. It's not enough for us to enjoy the gifts that the Father has given to us. We're to put them to proper use in a way that glorifies Him, that brings about Christ-likeness in us and makes disciples of others. And this is, this is the more excellent way to live. Put into practice Peter's instructions that we first read. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. As the, uh, as the worship team comes forward, the, uh, the song that we're going to sing, we worship together by singing this uh, song called Sweetly Broken. There's a line in there that says, Sweetly Broken, Holy Surrender. As we sing this song, I would, I would encourage you to, to pray and to think about the word that's been, been delivered, God's word, not my word. But to think about that idea of being wholly surrendered, because that's really what we're getting at when we talk about holiness. It's this idea of being wholly surrendered, being wholly useful to the Lord, making sure that our, 
our days are anchored to something of eternal significance, his glory, and making his disciples.